Oh, Father, thank you for all that you are doing and all that we've already heard from you on many different things already, seminars and meetings. Thank you for the engagement that we're having with one another. And we thank you for this opportunity to, to gather around this really important theme in an important week of Mental Health Awareness Week. And we pray as we dive into this and open our hearts and ears to what is going to be spoken about, that, Lord, that you may speak to us and help us individually, personally, and also uh, in our toolbox as we help others. So we come and present ourselves in that way. And uh, we thank you for Ishbel, and we, we, we just thank you for um, all that she is and all that she means to us and what she is doing already in the Elam movement. And uh, we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Four years ago, when I took on the role of regional leader and started to work with pastors, mainly ministers uh, within Elam, pastors, chaplains, etc., one of the major things I wanted to focus upon was not only the work of the church, but what was going on underneath the skin and underneath the facade and the mask. And what was, it, what was it like there, having been a minister uh, for years, uh, for many years, not realising that we, we can be very good at covering up some of the difficulties that are lying underneath? And secondly, also, how can we best equip our ministers as they are in this world, which is very, very different to how it was when... I first came into ministry, it's a changing world. There just seems to be so many things that we just need to be equipped in that we weren't told in Bible college. And um, so began that journey. And then very, very quickly into that, um, one, one of, one of uh, as a missions director beforehand, I knew the missionaries, obviously, and one of the missionaries, David and Esther Allen, um, Esther, they'd come back to the UK and Esther had started to work for this lady called Ishbel. And Esther phoned me up and said, do you know about Ishbel? I said, I've never even, even met anybody with that name before. You know, it's, it's a lovely name. I've never met anybody. So, and then I gave you a call. And here she is. Esther was working with me. And um, so give you a little bit of background I run a private psychiatric service my my background is psychiatry and um, mental health is something that I've always done specializing in addiction and trauma and I started to become really interested in the elements of mental health with in ministry 
And there was a lot of information around that in America, but not so much in the UK. And Esther was working with me, and we had a really close relationship. And I would talk to her about the kind of elements of mental health that people experience in a corporate environment and what is the difference with ministry because when I look at pastors and how churches are run it's like a small business so the kinds of pressures that I was dealing with in corporate environments with people that ran businesses CEOs I was thinking well what's going on with ministry and to couple that with the fact that you're also dealing with a lot of pressure in an isolated situation and very vulnerable people at times. So I went to Esther and we talked about it and she said, you've got to speak to Paul. He's an amazing person. She was right. <laughs> and we had a conversation and um, we talked about what we would do and how we would work it. And it was a very brief conversation and Paul gave me a scenario and he said, just shoot from the hip and tell me what you would do. And that scenario was real. I didn't know that at the time. And we set up a plan. Shall I talk a bit about the plan? And initially, the plan was that we wanted to educate. For me, I felt like I wanted to allow ministers to feel heard and understand that there is mental health within ministry. And I, I wanted to equip ministers to be able to deal with some of the things that they were dealing with in the congregation. Because... You know, in churches, I've grown up in church life, and the most broken people come to church. And at that time, the pandemic was just starting, had just started, can't remember. Um, so we were seeing a lot more of that in very isolated situations. So initially, my motive was, how do we equip ministers to be able to deal with this? And within my service and within psychiatry, we're constantly told about boundaries. We start off our work implementing boundaries with our patients. That's how we work. That's how we function. But what I understood about ministers is, because I go to church and I have experienced exceptional pastors that have been there for me at the drop of a hat I know that I could pick up the phone but where's the boundaries how do you manage that I can walk away from my work and I can say my out of office is on this is where you go to if you need support but I thought well how do how do ministers do this so we looked at an educational piece and we started off by setting up some workshops and the initial workshop was just about enlightening people wasn't it and we just wanted to say, what is well-being and how do you manage your own well-being? And Paul brought, there was quite a few people, I remember that first Zoom, it was pages and pages of Zoom. Um, and there's lots of people on that and we started the conversation and I remember that initial one and it was a little bit stunted. People were kind of feeling comfortable to talk a little bit. But it was a new thing. I was expecting people to start to reflect and talk about emotions and their experience in ministry in a very emotional way that they hadn't experienced before. And one of the most surprising things that I heard on that workshop was when people had started their training many years ago, they were told, or maybe not explicitly told, but there was a theme of, what happens within your role stays within your role. And there were people there that didn't even talk to their wives. And that shocked me because within mental health, how do we manage our well-being? Well, we share. Isolation is a huge issue around mental health. 
hence the issues that have happened since COVID. So we started to understand the kinds of things that we needed to look at. And we developed a bit of a programme around workshops, enlightening people around mental health, but also some specifics. So we talked about addiction, we talked about anxiety, we talked um, about depression. These were all in separate workshops. And from that, what we noticed was that people started to come forward. They either contacted me directly or they went via Paul. And they started to say, actually, I'm really struggling. And we then started to develop a slightly different model, didn't we, Paul? And um, at the end of... At the end of this seminar at the back we'll we'll have um some papers that we can make available to you some things that we've published which is which is about a soul care uh, uh emotional health for our ministers and that, that that's come come out of that i think ishbel out of the um the workshops that you you've been doing i think i i, I i'd like to, i'd like to maybe just probe a little bit, if, if I may, into some of those topics that you just mentioned. And because it became very enlightening. Um, I, I, I mean, I've never sat with ministers and, 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 and talked about addiction. Um, but we, we had that workshop. It brought out a number of issues. Do you, in, in your experience, do you see that as being... A major thing in the life of the church? Do you think that you know? How are you seeing that in 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 your work, and people connecting into you? So yeah, I see it as an issue. I see it as an issue generally across the general population, and it's definitely become more of an issue since COVID because people are isolated. They mm. don't need to function in the same way. If you are drinking or addicted to anything, then you are able to have free reign with that you don't have to get up to go to work and we saw a lot of that but within the ministry yeah addiction was definitely an issue and I think that what we experienced when we talked about it in the workshops and what enlightened people was that addiction can come in many different forms it is not drugs and alcohol simply it is pornography it is um, shopping, it is social media, it is gaming, it is a behaviour that causes a negative impact that you cannot stop doing regardless of the negative effects it has. And people were surprised by this. Um, and there was a lot of that kind of behaviour that started to come out it's hard to say whether it came out because there's an issue with addiction in ministry or whether suddenly they were given a safe place to talk about it. So within my sessions, as I started to see people one-to-one, -one, the prerequisite was that what happened in my session stayed in my session. Unless, of course, they were going to say that they were going to kill somebody. Obviously, I had to inform. So that safe environment, that what didn't exist before, suddenly people were able to talk in a very frank and open way. We have seen um, many, many people contact you, uh, and it's been, it's been great to have that one-to-one, -one, not just in my, my regions, but now also into the uh, Northwest, uh, James Glass's region, and also into... Um, talking to KT region, and Chris Cartwright is really keen to try and see this right across the
the Elam movement so that um, every one of our Elam ministers has a, uh, has a focus upon their well-being. And so what we're seeing today, and you're part of this, you know, in the next year, the next couple of years, we, we are going to see a, a rollout uh, across our movement of making sure that our ministers have the opportunity to, to walk alongside um, not just, your, obviously, not yourself, but also the whole care package um, of their well-being. So this week, let's, let's talk a little bit more. Um, and you, are, you go to one of our churches, and, and they're, they're a whole group of them, uh, <laughs> your fans are there, Lakeside at uh, Southport, and I know your pastor, Richard Vernon, is there. And uh, I'm sure they're very proud of you. Um, so, okay, let's, let's dive in. In, in. in a little while, we'll have some Q&A. Um, Mental Health Awareness Week. What, what is that about? And, and um, that, and secondly, touching in areas of loneliness, what are the, what are the symptoms that are coming out of that? What, how, how is that played out in people's life? Mental Health Awareness Week is exactly what it is it's about making people aware of mental health and that the statistics are you know i think it was one in three suffer with reasonably severe and enduring mental illness um so it's the awareness of it and it's the talking about it it's the experiencing it alongside one another and not fearing it because what again bringing it back to the ministry when i first started to work with people there was a fear around an admission of struggling um, and it felt like a weakness and it felt like something that people weren't comfortable with expressing so the awareness of it is incredibly important but also the awareness of talking about it and being able to share that burden with other people in a safe place what was the other question in the area of, of loneliness what are the, what are the out what, what are the symptoms that are coming out of that so isolation, uh, so when you look at well-being, and we talk about well-being in clinical services because um, that is how we measure somebody's mental health. Um, and there's elements of well-being that people have to implement in order for that to be improved. And one of those things is relationships. Mm -hmm. So having positive relationships that are healthy is it has a has a positive impact on mental health and the problem is because of covid and you know i hate saying this because we keep going back to covid but unfortunately this is the aftermath of it people have become very very isolated they've become isolated and comfortable with that isolation so it's very normal to work from home initially we had a bit of a surge didn't we where people were happy to go back to work they were desperate to get back out but then I've started to see people starting to become far more socially anxious and not wanting to function around other people. And that has an impact on mental health, but especially in this sort of a role. So when we're talking about it in ministry, it's very important to be able to share some of those difficult situations, not just necessarily with the incidents that might happen within your work, but also, you know, home life relationships around that all of those things impact how we function and the life of a minister feels very very isolating why do you think that uh, not just ministers but why do you think people generally um don't share 
the, the truth and they don't have accountability. They don't even, you mentioned earlier about even within a marriage. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Well, I, I, I mean, it's a unique microcosm in ministry. It's very, very unique. <laughs> and the culture within it is very much that what you carry as a minister stays with you. It's almost seen as kind of a burden that you have and it's a privilege to hold it. But it's the only area that I see where people would hold very severe issues on their own. If you think about in psychiatry, the whole purpose of our function is to be able to share it. We do not ever carry anything alone. We communicate it all the time. Whether that is in in um, specific supervision or what I like to call corridor conversations where you're just walking out and having a chat and unburdening yourself. So I think that there is a culture that sort of, I see, I see a different generation of ministers changing that a little bit, but I also see that if you have people who have been fed the fact that they have to hold it on their own and the way that the function of ministry works is that you have MITs being under those people, that might also be a bit of an issue. So it's kind of changing that culture is very important. Okay, so here there are, there are several ministers here, but the majority um, are members in churches, okay? Just like you're a member in your church at Southport, and you're looking at your pastors and you're thinking, I wonder if they're emotionally healthy and do they have a sense of well-being, you know? Um, and so I don't want to probe into that um, too much. <laughs> just maybe, just a little, no, but how could these, how could be members of churches and you've, they, they will have a heart for their pastor. Mm -hmm. They will want their, their, their minister to, to be healthy. How can, uh, what, what, how can they help that? Well, that's a difficult one because um, to me, and they, they, you know, what I say to people is that your boundaries are your own responsibility. So I can say to people, you could think about when you contact people, how you manage yourself, um, how you manage your own mental health um, so that you're not ending up in crisis. And taking the advice of people around you and taking advice of the ministers that are supporting you. I think there's nothing more frustrating is there than giving somebody advice, trying to support someone and then doing the complete opposite, especially when it's very precious time. So I think it's about respecting the time of your minister. However, if you are very unwell, then I wouldn't want to dissuade you from seeking that support. But I put the responsibility back onto the minister because I think what I notice is the difficulty around implementing boundaries, where the line of your vocation and what you do because you're called to do it and where your well-being starts and finishes is probably the most blurred line. Yeah. And only the minister can identify that. This is not just about church because there will be people here who work in all different kinds of organisations and... Um this will apply to, to them. When you work for a boss or you're in a church of a minister who's not got a good well-being at that time, and over the last, what, 
couple of years, we've seen so many global ministers, ministries, big names um, that have really been shocking, really, to, 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 hear their, to hear the stories. Don't need to mention the names, you know, you know what I'm talking about, where um, spiritual abuse, where harassment, bullying... But I, even in this, even in this large group here, in your workplaces, you'll be working for managers. There'll be there'll be some people go. You know what? That's what I face every day. How do you help people who are in that situation? Talking about kind of emotional abuse within, um, you know, in a, a safe place as it's supposed to be, where you go to work or whether you're in a church or whatever it is. I think it's identifying what is okay for you and being comfortable with that. So I think it's, it's identifying what I would do with somebody is identifying what their boundaries are and what they're prepared to tolerate within a situation. What you would tolerate would be different to me. And I think that we can't put our own yardstick onto other people. So I think it's about supporting people to understand what feels comfortable but also understand where to get the right help. So if you're talking about an employment situation, then you would want to be going to HR, management. Um, in a church environment, it's slightly different. And I guess that's something that you would probably speak to, Paul. What would somebody do if they felt that, if they felt that their mm -hmm. minister was burning out and potentially making decisions that were negatively impacting them? Okay, what about if they've moved to another church primarily because they've been hurt in another place and now they're in another place but they're still carrying mm -hmm. the baggage of what's happened mm. how do they process uh you know what what they've been through well again i mean this is something that this is a this is a pressure isn't it that i guess a, a ministerial team would be carrying supporting somebody understanding their journey and we know that like i said earlier churches for broken people people come with baggage lots of issues going on not necessarily just issues that have happened within another church but issues that are going on in their lives um, each day people walk into church carrying a lot of stuff so it's having the space to be able to be able to, to talk about that, but also, you know, knowing what somebody wants, whether they're just wanting to share that and offload it or whether they're wanting active support. I think, you know, part of the boundaries that, again, I talk about in ministry is not doing everything for everybody. Um, you can't do it. It burns people out. But having the resource around you and feeling comfortable to identify what people need and not feeling that they have to rescue everybody, sending them to the appropriate services or support structures. How would I know? This may be a very basic question, but how, how would I know if I've, if I've got problems with my mental health? How do I know that? Because the tendency could be just to plow on. Mm -hmm. You know, it is what it is. It's life. I just crack on. How do I know? What are the things that would indicate to me? Yeah. I mean, again, that's something that I see all the time. Usually people sit in front of me saying that they're experiencing certain things. 
and then I will identify it for them. That's the problem. People don't see it. It's usually when you've crashed and burned that people know that they are burnt out in a puff of smoke on the floor. I will see people frequently and say, you are burning out, that you are displaying those symptoms. And I think identify, identifying it yourself is very difficult to do. But I think, and, and, and the reason it's difficult to do is because it's a slow process. So it doesn't happen overnight. If you were burning out, this is a year-long, two-year, three-year, five-year career-long process. So knowing what your norm is, is very difficult. You've lost your norm a lot of the time. But I think it's going back to what that may have been. And one of the questions that I ask people all the time is, what makes you happy? What do you do that is solely for you? Most people say to me, I have no idea. Everything I do is either for my children, my partner, my church, my work. I don't know what makes me happy. I had someone that said to me the other day, even going for a run is no longer about me. It's about how I look so that I am attractive to my wife and so I can function in my work. That loss of insight into what makes you happy is a very dangerous thing. So grappling with that and finding it again. And it can be very sad. Some people find that a quite a depressing notion that they don't know what makes them happy anymore. But I say to people, you know, at that point, the world's your oyster. Try everything. Get a ukulele. Do whatever you want, because you never know. Are there plans for, and I'm looking at both of you here, because really it's a, a regional thing, I guess. Are there plans for um, exploring what support could be given to staff teams, leadership teams, yeah. as well as the pastors? Like, it's fantastic what you're doing for the pastors. And that will then filter down and impact yeah. on everyone else. But are there any other Yeah, and you know, you know I, 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 see, I see people, not just ministers. So, so, you know, Paul and James have been very good at when somebody's identified. What I always say is, you don't know what you don't know. That's the difficulty. So what we're trying to create is a culture of talking about it so that people know that there's something there. And I appreciate that if it, there hasn't been anything there in the past, it's difficult, isn't it, to come forward with issues because then it's just left in the air. But, yeah, absolutely. And as far as, you know, the, the structure that we're looking at in order to navigate through the people that may come through the doors. We're, we're looking at a system with soul care yeah. um, that enables for staff teams and that support to come through, so yeah. This is really refreshing to hear. Um, I've been in ministry for a long time um, with my husband, and so I'm a minister's wife. And um, I have to say it's been a lonely walk mm. a lot of the time mm. because there's nothing for ministers' wives mm. at all mm. except the once-a-year pastors' wives meeting. Yeah. And so for me, my question would be that if you're going to address the ministers, surely at some point it's got to be the minister's wife as well. Ishmael, are, are you seeing a pastor's wife yet? Yes, I did see a pastor's wife. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we do, and and I think this has been this has escalated quickly. Massively. Quickly. My conversation with Paul was, what can we do? How can we start to support yeah. people? And we sort of journeyed along, feeling our way, and it just snowballed and has snowballed since. And we're sort of pulling strands of exactly what you're saying: ministers' wives, support teams around that. 
the impact. So what we first went into it thinking we needed to do, we recognise it needs to be bigger than that because the support structure of, of the ministerial provision has to support everyone within that. So I completely agree. Picking that up, it's, it, it's yes. It's yes. One of, one of the, one of the um, things that has happened over the, the last couple of years as well as uh, what, what we're partnering with Ishbel about is the, is the spouses um, of, of ministers who have died in, in service. And, and there's been, in the last five years, there's been eight. They just so happen to be ladies, widows, um, and they've been gathering on Zoom together with myself and Malcolm Duncan and um, just to help them process what, if you can imagine what that's like, you know, as well for them when that world just collapses, everything that then up collapses and they, the strain upon them. So I think what Ishmael is saying is advancing really quickly is this whole area. It does feel like the Holy Spirit is taking us on a journey within Elam to look at this whole thing and we, we're making some big strides and Graham, Parkinson, uh, Andy Lancaster here of Leeds and Julia, my um, administrator, we, we, we've been working hard to try and bring together some ideas that will address these things but the pastor's wife is really important, or the pastor's husband is really important. The spouse of the minister is really, really important. So you spoke about um, knowing where to draw the boundary as a minister. I just wanted to ask, how do you manage that with sacrifice? Okay, um, from a perspective of, there's a portion of the Bible where um, Jesus went up the mountain to pray, came down and saw his disciples sleeping and he was not happy that they were sleeping. So these are guys that, that may be tired. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, for most ministers, or for us, his grace is sufficient. You know, we should be Christ-like, more like um, sacrificial. So how do we know when to stop? And that, um, yeah, like how do we make sure it's not um, like going overboard, you know? Mm. And how do we manage that with knowing that his grace is always there to help us? So I guess I would draw from my own experience. Obviously, I'm not in ministry, but I am in, a, in an area that I would say is part of, you know, what I feel like I was built for. It's my vocation. And I always want to do more. I feel like that's where I'm placed, best placed to be. But the time where I know it's time to implement a boundary, and I think people lose sight of this, is when it Im impacts how good you're going to be. So if you're overburdening yourself, you need to have a quality check. You need to understand that if you aren't sleeping and you aren't eating, and you are seeing a lot of people taking on a lot of additional stuff, how good are you, is what you're going to be giving to people? And I feel, when I'm making sure that I have all of those things in place, which I don't always, but when I try to, I'm doing it because I know that I'm going to be the best person I can be for my patients. 
and I'm going to make the most informed choices and be as balanced as I can. So to me, it's about nourishing yourself in the best way so that you can do what you were built for. How do you support somebody with um, long-term mental health like conditions like autism or borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, things like that, mm -hmm. something that isn't necessarily circumstantial or um, isn't something that um, is a symptom, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, else. it makes perfect sense. Are you talking about in my clinical practice? Um, yeah, just, just in general. Like okay. Or are you talking about how would somebody within the church? Yeah, in the, I think in the church. So how would someone within the church? Well, we, we had a workshop about... Um, what was it about? I can't remember. It was around severe and enduring mental illness. And we talked very in-depth about boundaries around that, around ensuring that people are accessing the right support. In the church, it's not a mental health service. You've got to put your boundaries in place of what you are capable of doing. As much as you may want to be, you won't do it very well. You'll put people in danger. You will give people a false expectation of what you can do, and that's not okay. Because what happens in mental health is people feel let down all the time. So you're setting them up to feel like that. So when we had this conversation, and this is the conversation I have all the time, it's about finding the resource or what they're engaged in and supporting them, walking them to access that. I'm a, a church leader, um, and... I guess following on from the gentleman's questions over there, how much would you recommend or do you think it should be, uh, not stricter, that's not the right word, but should it be uh, sort of more clearly in place that ministers should see professional help and not just when things get bad, that it should be a, almost a standard practice mm. um, because you, sometimes you hear ministers say, oh, and I went to see my therapist and it's like, oh my word, he must be falling apart at the mm. seams. And actually, how do we normalize that in a way that it's appropriate that I'm not at burnout going to someone, but it's a bit more common. And sort of following on from the question over there, how appropriate is it? Because as a, as a minister, I felt sort of quite passionate about, about that. We should be the body. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the issue with boundaries is that you feel you're the only answer. Mm -hmm. You feel the only one that has the solution. So how appropriate is it to mobilize our churches to be pastors to one another mm -hmm. um, and, and how do we do that appropriately where all of a sudden you know Joan who's just a lady in the church has suddenly got too much on her and how do you know how can we do that so that the body is mobilized so it's not just on the pastor's shoulders the second question first how you structure your church is totally up to you um, and what one person does may the other person may not do but from a personal perspective, when I've worked with ministers, one of the issues is that they don't want to let go. So it's about having a very clear conversation with yourself that you are not going to do everything in every situation. And I think that that is a conversation that you have to have quite frequently with yourself. It's not something that you have once and then that's it, I'm good to go. I think you have to check yourself. Going into the second part or the first part of your question around normalizing therapy one of the things that we're doing with soul care is that we're trying to look at a structure that supports so we're looking at smaller groups of um, people ministers ministers wives youth workers what you know groups of people that can have supervision together that can support one another that can talk in a reflective way and a healthy way about what's going on for them when things come out of that, 
we have a process of how that is then going to lead into support that may look at a kind of more light touch therapeutic support. But what we want to do and what mine and Paul's model has been is prevention. We feel like we've been crisis managing and we're probably going to be crisis managing for a while whilst this starts to work in. But it's absolutely about prevention and prevention is having regular communication where you can talk in a reflective and vulnerable way about what you're dealing with. Well, we, we will take the opportunity right now to, to answer that question a, a bit more by asking Andy on behalf of the team just to come and share of what the plans are in going forward. Just to say that uh, very briefly, eight years ago, I came very close to burnout myself. <clears throat> I recognised it because I went on a three-day conference. I didn't know it was on burnout. It was on something else. And uh, when I sat down, I could see myself being mirrored by the people who were sharing. And that made me need to change. And just to answer your question, my brother, you know, Elijah uh, was a classic case of burnout. I've been very zealous for the Lord my God. And he's in a heap. And God says to him, don't work any harder. Don't get filled with the spirit again, brother. Don't go to a worship session. He says, have a sleep, have something to eat, and have another sleep. You need to burn on, not burn out. Okay, hold that in your heart. So three things that we'd like to introduce to, um, and, and it is a slow rollout. Please bear with us. Three things that help me. Okay, the first thing I have is um, I have supervision counselling. If you're a professional counsellor, you offload what you hear and experience to another professional counsellor. Ishbel has already mentioned that. My church pays a Christian lady £25 a month for me to offload what I have experienced to her, not to my wife, not to my colleagues, but to a professional counsellor. I need that some months. Other months, I don't need it so much. But that's what happens for me. That helps me get rid of what's in here, rationalise it as we share, and she helps me through that. The second thing I have is known as spiritual direction. You might want to call it spiritual accompaniment or spiritual mentoring. And I have actually, don't tell anybody else, will you, but I have a, a, an Anglo-Catholic spiritual director <laughs> who just loves Jesus. And we talk about my relationship with God, my prayer life, how I'm reading scripture, how I'm doing in my, my love for Jesus. That's what we talk about. Not church structure, anything like that. Just me, him and Jesus for an hour. I love it. And uh, we are trying to roll out spiritual directors and being able to link people up with spiritual directors. There'll be more news to come. And then the third aspect of that, uh, well, well-being workshops. Ishbel has been running some online. We possibly expand those. I don't know. There's plans to expand them so more people can join in, uh, hear the wisdom. Let me tell you, it is godly wisdom that we're hearing. And then the, the final part, of course, there is crisis counselling available. So let me say again, burn on, do not burn out. It's not clever to do what I did, and that's try and spin as many plates as you can, because in the end, it will bite you. And uh, where you need professional help, that's what we want to provide for you. And it's worth it for your sake, for your marriage's sake, for your spouse's sake, uh, and for your church's sake. So we'll have some more to say and come and see us at the table afterwards, but that's the plan in its infancy right now. Going back, we obviously ministers have to deal with the mental health and issues of everybody in the congregation. The larger the congregation, the more issues. Has Elim thought of 
are there structures or will there be strategies in place to help the people in the congregation not to access yourself or individual one-to-one counselling? We could do that locally. But things like well-being, um, you know, people look around and well-being is very secular nowadays. They'll go and join a yoga class, mm. which we don't want them to do. They'll go and do, I mean, mindfulness is great, but are there more Christian versions? If we could put some structures in place that we could easily use to help our congregation, then that might lessen the load and also the one-to-one that people have to do with individuals. Because if you're doing it 10 times with 10 individuals, but you can do it once, or you have those resources, is there anything like that being planned? Because... I don't know, not Christian yoga, but those kinds of things, Christian mindfulness, brilliant. Yeah, so I had um, a pastor and his wife get in touch with me and ask me for something very similar. And uh, we looked at working on um, some resource and a well-being plan for their church. I don't think it's possible to do it across the board. Um, I think that because it's it's unique with unique differences and the ministers that I speak to have very different types of congregations but there may be something that we could look at around that. I'm very encouraged by the, 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 the questions that are coming forward. There is an appetite for this clearly. This morning um, Ishbel sat down with the general superintendent. Ishbel is going to come into the national leadership team in, in the next few months. If we can get every minister, oh no, that's, whoa, that's a dream. If we can get some ministers, <laughs> if we can get some ministers who are thinking, you know, in my church, I, we can do a lot more here. Then I think these kind of things we will be able to see. I feel very energized that we're at the cusp of something. It feels like a journey. And um, I'm excited by your responses. Um, we will be cloning um, Ishbel a few times. Um, I'm not sure how to frame this question. It's just the way my mind is thinking. But um, one of the things I realized in lockdown is that um, people's minds are different because of experience, because of culture, because of community, all those kinds of things. And I think one of the things that I realized for myself, or to, I guess to, just to use myself as an example, I'm now an MIT within the ELA movement, but I'm somewhat of a, I don't know, it's, it's rare to find someone like me in that I'm a woman, I'm single, I'm young, I'm black. And I guess all those different things, sort of sometimes I look to leadership, I, I'm, or I'm looking for someone to offload on, and I don't find what I'm looking for. So I guess the question is, in the, by the way, I'm very encouraged by everything that's been said already. Um, is there scope for, or is there, are there plans to sort of build a team of people um, who are diverse in terms of age, in terms of race, in terms of experience? And This has really come out of a very small um, area with a desire to do something. Clearly, it's going to build into something like that, and that will be a that will be our way forward. So the answer is yes, and uh, we'd like you to be involved. <laughs> um, but I, I I think it's back to the fact that we are 
starting this journey and I, I, I'm encouraged that you've actually come to the seminar. Me and Ishbel thought there'd be just me, Ishbel, Andy, Julia and Graham. And, um, but actually you've all come because it's in your heart and um, I mean we knew Southport would come uh, <laughs> to support Ishbel. Um, so you know it will go that way. There's a lot of there's a lot of goodwill. There's a lot of desire here, even in this room. And I will pass that back. And I think we are going to see an excitement mm. or a, an advancement of of what our plans are. Thank you. Sir. C can I just also yeah. say something? Yeah. One of my um, specialist interests is around identity and mental health. So I am interested in the impact, the difference that somebody who is a person of colour, somebody who is experiencing an identity issue, or culturally, or um, you know, a different age, or even geographically, the impact that mental health has in a different way. And um, I talked to a church around the anniversary of the Black Lives Matter, um, I think it was a church in Coventry, I can't remember, and we talked a lot about that. So it's definitely something that I am always thinking about Mental health is something that's huge. Mental health with our young people is something that is a big issue. We have so many like, identity um, crises, gender crises. It's going to be a huge thing. And as an NHS worker, a lot of us within the NHS, we get a very basic training package, which is fabulous. Because it's enough just to tell you what to do that's appropriate, when to know you're out of your depth and when to pass on. And I just think, thinking of the, the wider congregation, our, um, whether it be youth workers, whether it be pastoral care team members, we, you know, we've got to have safeguarding training, we've got to have GDPR training. Maybe there's a place for a very a basic mental health wellbeing training package. Mm. There is for whoever in your church may need that. Um, and I know they're working quite hard, aren't they, on, a, on an online training package, so that could be something that could maybe be developed. Yeah, so in, in our church in, in Southport, we have Renew. It's a group for um, people to be able to come um, who are not feeling so good about themselves. It's a really good support element, and I support the team that deal with that. And... Uh, we meet once a month and they came to me a few weeks ago and we sat down and we were talking about exactly what you've just said and they were looking everywhere for this um, sort of training around it and um, we decided that we would develop that training. So we are going to be developing it and putting it on so there's no reason that we wouldn't share that. We want to say thank you to you because um, I really believe that you are a gift to Elam, and you've come at, at the right time, and um, and we are we are really indebted to you, and um, it, we think that we we are we've come for such a time as this to move forward to make sure that the whole of the Elam denomination, from the pulpit to the pew, that we've got a culture of great well-being. That seems an enormous task, and I don't know how, but I do know that we've started. And I'm encouraged by 
so many of your questions.